Chapter Fourteen of the Return of Doctor Fu Manchu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elaine Tweddle. The Return of Doctor Fu Manchu by Sax Romer. Chapter Fourteen: The Coughing Horror. I leaped up in bed with a great start. My sleep was troubled often enough in these days, which immediately followed our almost miraculous escape from the den of Fu Manchu, and now as I crouched there, nerves a-quiver, listening, listening, I could not be sure if this dark panic which possessed me had its origin in nightmare or in something else. Surely a scream, a choking cry for help, had reached my ears, but now, almost holding my breath in that sort of nervous tensity peculiar to one aroused thus, I listened, and the silence seemed complete. Perhaps I had been dreaming. Help! Petrie! Help! It was Nayland Smith in the room above me. My doubts were dissolved. This was no trick of the imagination disordered. Some dreadful menace threatened my friend. Not delaying even to snatch my dressing-gown, I rushed out onto the landing, up the stairs, barefooted as I was, threw open the door of Nayland Smith's room, and literally hurled myself in. Those cries had been the cries of one assailed, had been uttered, I judged, in the brief interval of a life-and-death struggle, had been choked off. A certain amount of moonlight found access to the room, without spreading so far as the bed in which my friend lay, but at the moment of my headlong entrance, and before I had switched on the light, my gaze automatically was directed to the pale moonbeam streaming through the window, and down onto one corner of the sheepskin rug beside the bed. There came a sound of faint and muffled coughing. What with my recent awakening and the panic at my heart, I could not claim that my vision was true, but across this moonbeam passed a sort of grey streak, for all the world as though some long, thin shape had been withdrawn, snake-like, from the room and through the open window. From somewhere outside the house and below I heard the cough again, followed by a sharp cracking sound, like the lashing of a whip. I depressed the switch, flooding the room with light, and as I leaped forward to the bed a word picture of what I had seen formed in my mind, and I found I was thinking of a grey feather boa. "'Smith!' I cried. My voice seemed to pitch itself unwilled in a very high key. "'Smith, old man!' He made no reply, and a sudden sorrowful fear clutched at my heartstrings. He was lying half out of bed, flat upon his back, his head at a dreadful angle with his body. As I bent over him and seized him by the shoulders, I could see the whites of his eyes. His arms hung limply, and his fingers touched the carpet. Oh my God! I whispered. What has happened? I heaved him back onto the pillow and looked anxiously into his face. Habitually gaunt, the flesh so refined away by the consuming nervous energy of the man as to reveal the cheekbones in sharp prominence, he now looked truly ghastly. His skin was so sun-baked as to have changed constitutionally. Nothing could ever eradicate that tan. But to-night a fearful greyness was mingled with the brown. His lips were purple, and there were marks of strangulation upon the lean throat, ever darkening wheels made by clutching fingers. He began to breathe stentoriously and convulsively, inhalation being accompanied by a significant gurgling in the throat. But now my calm was restored in face of a situation which called for professional attention. I aided my friend's laboured respirations by the usual means, setting to work vigorously, so that presently he began to clutch at his inflamed throat which that murderous pressure had threatened to close. 
i could hear sounds of movement about the house showing that not i alone had been awakened by those hoarse screams it's all right old man i said bending over him brace up he opened his eyes they looked bleared and bloodshot and gave me a quick glance of recognition it's all right smith i said no don't sit up lie there for a moment i ran across to the dressing-table whereupon i perceived his flask to lie and mixed him a weak stimulant with which i returned to the bed as i bent over him again my housekeeper appeared in the doorway pale and wide-eyed there's no occasion for alarm i said over my shoulder mr smith's nerves are overwrought and he was awakened by some disturbing dream you can return to bed mrs newsome nayland smith seemed to experience much difficulty in swallowing the contents of the tumbler which i held to his lips and from the way in which he fingered the swollen glands i could see that his throat which i had vigorously massaged was occasioning him great pain but the danger was past, and already that glassy look was disappearing from his eyes, nor did they protrude so unnaturally. "'God, Petrie,' he whispered, "'that was a near shave. I haven't the strength of a kitten.' "'The weakness will pass off,' I replied, "'but there will be no collapse now, a little more fresh air.' I stood up, glancing at the windows, then back at Smith, who forced a wry smile in answer to my look. "'Couldn't be done, Petrie,' he said huskily. His words referred to the state of the windows. Although the night was oppressively hot, these were only open some four inches at top and bottom. Further opening was impossible, because of iron brackets screwed firmly into the casements, which prevented the windows being raised or lowered further. It was a precaution adopted after long experience of the servants of Dr. Fu Manchu. Now, as I stood looking from the half-strangled man upon the bed to those screwed-up windows, the fact came home to my mind that this precaution had proved futile. I thought of the thing which I had likened to a feather boa, and I looked at the swollen wheels made by clutching fingers upon the throat of Nayland Smith. The bed stood fully four feet from the nearest window. I suppose the question was written in my face, for as I turned again to Smith, who, having struggled upright, was still fingering his injured throat ruefully, "'God only knows, Petrie,' he said. "'No human arm could have reached me.' For us, the night was ended, so far as sleep was concerned. Arrayed in his dressing-gown, Smith sat in the white cane chair in my study, with a glass of brandy and water beside him, and, despite my official prohibition, with the cracked briar which had sent up its incense in many strange and dark places of the East, and which yet survived to perfume these prosy rooms in suburban London, steaming between his teeth. I stood with my elbow resting upon the mantelpiece, looking down at him where he sat. "'By God, Petrie,' he said, yet again, with his fingers straying gently over the surface of his throat, "'that was a narrow shave, damn narrow shave!' "'Narrower, perhaps, than you appreciate, old man,' I replied. "'You were a most unusual shade of blue when I found you.' "'I managed,' said Smith, evenly, "'to tear those clutching fingers away for a moment, and to give a cry of for help. "'It was only for a moment, though, Petrie. "'They were fingers of steel. "'Of steel. "'The bed.' i began i know that rapped smith i shouldn't have been sleeping in it had it been within the reach of the window but knowing that the doctor avoids noisy methods i had thought myself fairly safe so long as i made it impossible for anyone to actually enter the room i have always insisted smith i cried that that was the danger what of poison darts what of the damnable reptiles and insects which form part of the armoury of fu manchu "'Familiarity breeds contempt, I suppose,' he replied. "'But as it happened, none of those agents was employed. "'The very menace that I sought to avoid reached me somehow. 
it would almost seem that dr fu manchu deliberately accepted the challenge of those screwed-up windows hang it all petrie one cannot sleep in a room hermetically sealed in weather like this it's positively burmese and although i can stand tropical heat curiously enough the heat of london gets me down almost immediately the humidity that's easily understood but you have put up with it in the future after nightfall our windows must be closed entirely smith nayland smith knocked out his pipe upon the side of the fireplace the bowl sizzled furiously but without delay he stuffed broad-cut mixture into the hot pipe dropping a liberal quantity upon the carpet during the process he raised his eyes to me his face was very grim petrie he said striking a match on the heel of his slipper the resources of dr fu manchu are by no means exhausted before we quit this room it is up to us to come to a decision upon a certain point he got his pipe well alight what kind of thing what unnatural distorted creature laid hands upon my throat to-night i owe my life primarily to you old man but secondly to the fact that i was awakened just before the attack by the creature's coughing by its vile high-pitched coughing I glanced around at the books upon my shelves. Often enough, following some outrage by the brilliant Chinese doctor, whose genius was directed to the discovery of new and unique death agents, we had obtained a clue in those works of a scientific nature which bulk largely in the library of a medical man. There are creatures, there are drugs, which, ordinarily innocuous, may be so employed as to become inimical to human life and in the distorting of nature, in the disturbing of balances, and the diverting of beneficent forces into strange and dangerous channels, Dr. Fu Manchu excelled. I had known him to enlarge, by artificial culture, a minute species of fungus, so as to render it a powerful agent capable of attacking man. His knowledge of venomous insects has probably never been paralleled in the history of the world, whilst in the sphere of pure toxicology he had and has no rival the borgias were children by comparison but look where i would think how i might no adequate explanation of this latest outrage seemed possible among normal lines there's the clue said nayland smith pointing to a little ash-tray upon the table near by follow it if you can but i could not as i have explained continued my friend i was awakened by a sound of coughing then came a death grip upon my throat and instinctively my hands shot out in search of my attacker i could not reach him my hands came in contact with nothing palpable therefore i clutched at the fingers which were dug into my windpipe and found them to be small as the marks show and hairy i managed to give that first cry for help then with all my strength i tried to unfasten the grip that was throttling the life out of me at last i contrived to move one of the hands and i called out again though not so loudly then both the hands were back again i was weakening but i clawed like a madman at the thin hairy arms of the strangling thing and with a blood-red mist dancing before my eyes i seemed to be whirling madly round and round until all became a blank evidently i used my nails pretty freely and here's the trophy for the twentieth time i should think i carried the ash-tray in my hand and laid it immediately under the table-lamp in order to examine its contents in the little brass bowl lay a blood-stained fragment of greyish hair attached to a tatter of skin this fragment of epidermis had an oddly bluish tinge and the attached hair was much darker at the roots than elsewhere 
saving its singular colour it might have been torn from the forearm of a very hirsute human but although my thoughts wandered unfettered north south east and west although knowing the resources of fu manchu i considered all the recognized mongolian types and in quest of hirsute mankind even roamed far north among the blubbering esquimo although i glanced at australasia at central africa and passed in mental review the dark places of the congo nowhere in the known world nowhere in the history of the human species could i come upon a type of man answering to the description suggested by our strange clue nayland smith was watching me curiously as i bent over the little brass ash-tray you are puzzled he rapped in his short way so i am utterly puzzled fu manchu's gallery of monstrosities clearly has become reinforced for even if we identified the type we should not be in sight of our explanation you mean i began fully four feet from the window petrie and that window but a few inches open look he bent forward resting his chest against the table and stretched out his hand toward me you have a rule there just measure setting down the ash-tray i opened out the rule and measured the distance from the further edge of the table to the tips of smith's fingers twenty-eight inches and i have a long reach snapped smith withdrawing his arm and striking a match to relight his pipe there's one thing petrie often proposed before which now we must do without delay the ivy must be stripped from the walls at the back it's a pity but we cannot afford to sacrifice our lives to our sense of the aesthetic what do you make of the sound like a cracking of a whip i make nothing of it smith i replied wearily it might have been a thick branch of ivy breaking beneath the weight of a climber did it sound like it i must confess that the explanation does not convince me but i have no better one smith permitting his pipe to go out sat staring straight before him and tugging at the lobe of his left ear the old bewilderment is seizing me i continued at first when i realized that dr fu manchu was back in england when i realized that an elaborate murder machine was set up somewhere in london it seemed unreal fantastical then i met garamina sheem whom we thought to be his victim showed herself again to be his slave now with weymouth and scotland yard at work the old secret evil is established again in our midst unaccountably our lives are menaced sleep is a danger every shadow threatens death oh it is awful smith remained silent he did not seem to have heard my words i knew these moods and had learned that it was useless to seek to interrupt them with his brows drawn down and his deep-set eyes staring into space he sat there gripping his cold pipe so tightly that my own jaw muscles ached sympathetically no man was better equipped than this gaunt british commissioner to stand between society and the menace of the yellow doctor i respected his meditations for unlike my own they were informed by the intimate knowledge of the dark and secret things of the east of that mysterious east out of which fu manchu came of that jungle of noxious things whose miasma had been wafted westward with the implacable chinaman i walked quietly from the door occupied with my own bitter reflections end of chapter fourteen recording by elaine tweddle sterling ontario